We are back. Little short break we took, but that's over. We're back. We're happy to be here. We're glad you are back with us. We still need you to like and subscribe. Give us some good ratings, all that kind of stuff. Help us continue to grow. We are growing. We've gotten several new listeners from many different places. Russia, Dominican Republic. I don't think I told you guys about Dominican, Dominican Republic. Republic. Really? Yeah, no. we're in there. We're we're on the island, living the island life. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Uh, Canada's been there before, but checking back in. India. India's blowing up for us, guys. That's a good thing. So we we, we would like to hear from you. Podcast at parkwaybc.net. Send us an email and let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know where you listen, if you're listening from from a faraway place, and and, uh, tell us a little bit about you, and we'll share that on the air. And and uh life advice anything like that let us know what you want us to talk about if you have a question of you know steak sauce which is better or or something else <laughs> that you want some information on we would be happy to settle that debate make sure you you say the right thing though you know uncle bob's uncle All bob's versus country A1's bob's the way to go. my man that's a great time to chime in. We're going to go ahead and I don't even want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> introduce our guest. That's a great start. We have we we have moved up. We have a new table that's mostly finished. We were supposed that to have nice. new microphones tonight. They were delayed in shipping. We're we're elevating things and we're elevating guests as well. With us tonight we have former SEC pitcher of the year, first round draft pick in the major league baseball draft. And I'm sure plenty of other accolades for our guest, Mr. Grayson Garvin. Thank you for being here. Excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, we we are moving up in the world, fellas. Ryan is is straight uh, bandwagon here. He's never even uttered the word Vanderbilt before. Grayson played. Where's Vandy at again? I forgot. Yeah, Grayson (laughs) worked Wisconsin somewhere. That sounds about right. Sounds about right. Stud pitcher for for Vanderbilt. Uh, was where Grayson went to college and and became the big timer that he is today. So nothing, uh, nothing. <laughs> I don't really know about all of that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna play it up. It's big Crickets. time for us. Yeah, I mean that w- that was his that was your opportunity there, Grayson, to just say yes. <laughs> We'll we'll pump you up. You you just you play the straight okay. role. We'll no, pump that's you up. Fine. You know, I uh, it feels like a long time ago. Let's put it that way. You know, I was blessed to uh, to have a, a lot of uh, unique experience. Let's, let's put it that way in baseball, and um, took me a lot of places. And uh, thankfully, uh, it also brought me here. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to uh, unpack some, some of that this evening. Yeah, we're going to get in get into that story and and Grayson's walk with christ and and how that unfolded through all those different things and and uh have some fun along the way too so grayson why don't you just tell us a little bit about where you're from and and how you grew up and how you came to know christ for sure absolutely yeah i was uh born and raised outside of atlanta georgia um so not too terribly far from here um was so blessed to be you know raised in a christian home too you know my parents both um taught me from a very young age and really modeled for me what it was like to have a you know very intentional walk with Christ which is obviously what is required um, so grew up in a Christian home was re- really blessed there um, but I would also say that you know at some point whether you were born into church whether you grew up in church whether you didn't you know you came to know Christ at a later age at some point you have to mature to the place where you own your faith yourself. Um, so I accepted Christ when I was in sixth grade, but I would say really came to own my own faith somewhere in the middle of high school, 10th to 11th grade, um, and just continued to uh, mature in my faith, also continued to mature um, on the baseball field. I really felt like you know the Lord had given me the gifts that he had to be able to you know further his kingdom. And we'll talk again a little bit more about how that got twisted in certain ways throughout the remainder of my kind of playing career. But I came to Nashville by way of Vanderbilt. Um, I was blessed to, to play SEC baseball there um, back in 2008. So I know that, you know, what is it, 100 people a day move here. But I've been here since 2008. So in some ways I feel like a local now. 
Um, but we'll, we'll claim you. It's, it's been long you. enough. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and just you know, met my wife at Vanderbilt, and we and we decided, Lord willing, that we would you know make our home here after baseball was over, if that was uh, Lord's will. And thankfully, you know, again, we uh, we make our home south of Franklin. I was telling you guys that it feels like a, a pilgrimage to get up north of town, <laughs> but uh, it's good to be here, and uh, you know, excited to uh, again to still live here in Nashville. That that is that is a bit of a haul for those of you who are not from here, not familiar with the area. Without traffic, I'd say what solid forty five. It's forty minutes. Yeah, with traffic, <laughs> anybody's guess. Yeah. Which my Atlanta self would be ashamed because you can't get anywhere in under an hour. So to say that you know thirty five minutes is a pilgrimage, but hey, I've you know it's like you get thin skin moving from the north going down mm. south. It's like you get you know right. yeah. desensitized. Well, you, you you get acclimated to where you are. So it's true. Yeah, with traffic, if there's a wreck or it's raining, I mean that could be a that could be a two hour drive. There will yep. be a there will be a wreck. So yeah, you can <laughs> always fair. count on that. It, it depends yes. on the time yes. of day. Yeah, always, if, if it's rush hour, it, yeah. yeah, go ahead. That was, and sun, that was Sunday that morning. In. What are you talking about? Oh well, that, <laughs> you're welcome. That was a chemical spill. Ryan saved me a, a solid <laughs> 30, 40 minutes of driving yeah. this past Sunday because uh, he he was on the road. We we both live in the same area and. He he called to let me know. Don't take the interstate. Shut oh, yeah. down for a chemical spill. So I was I was stuck. Uh, there was no getting out of that. Yeah. Not a good feeling. No. Tyson chicken. Ammonia. That's what yeah, I heard. That's what I heard. Rumor. So. Rumors. I don't know. But uh, anyway, moving on to more important things. <laughs> right. So moving from Atlanta to to Vanderbilt. So you were drafted, for those that don't know, actually out of high school, drafted by the Major League Baseball. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's like for a high school kid to get drafted by the pros? For sure. High school kids and kids, you know, going through that process, first off, getting, you know, recruited to play college ball is a certain process that's, you know, unique in and of itself. Um, but then to have the opportunity and in some ways kind of courted, for lack of a better term, by, you know, the major league organizations, I'd say that it is a whirlwind process. Um, you can think about it as really 30 different job interviews. So, you know, scouts and things will come into your home at that age where, you know, you're sitting around a kitchen table, you're sitting around your living room, um, and there are, you know, psychological evaluations, tests that you take, you know, normal kind of interview type process questions that, you know, I would say that most people would not think of in that type of a setting. So mm. that takes place kind of the, the fall winter of your senior year, and then, you know, you just go out and play. Um, and there's kind of an allure, if you will, of you know getting drafted because from a young age, if you're a sports fan or you play any specific sport, a lot of times you know kids idolize wanting to be drafted and play at the highest level. Right. Um, and so there is a uh, there's an allure there and kind of a draw, um, but you're naive still because you don't understand you know kind of the business side of baseball, which also in some ways exists even in the college ranks as well. Um, but I was fortunate again, you know, to have a pretty strong commitment to Vanderbilt, and in some ways that you know turns some of the teams away because they understand that most kids that decide to go to a place like Vanderbilt, there is uh, you know an importance placed on education that may not always be the case at some other institutions. So often, oftentimes, that will um, turn teams away. Um, and so, I was drafted in the 45th round by the Houston Astros. Um, but there wasn't a lot of dialogue after after the draft of whether or not I think I had one conversation with them and they were like, "You going to school?" I was like, "I am." They're like, "Let us know if something changes," and that was kind of that. So I was uh, thankful that it happened. You know, it made me feel good. Right. But um, there wasn't again a lot of substance there, um, and fortunately too, I was also sheltered in some ways by some of the some of the more nasty business side of the uh, of the game as well at that point. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it is a prestige thing because, you know, all little kids here, you know, you, you're playing in the backyard and it's, you're, you know, if you're shooting basketball, you're making that last second shot or you're playing football, you're throwing that winning touchdown and striking out a batter in baseball, whatever, or hitting a home run, whatever the case is. And, I mean, I, that's a thing that we all imagine as kids here, but very few people get to experience that. So you're at that time you're being courted by 
pro teams and scouts and colleges at the same time, correct or no? At that point, the college recruiting process, at least for me, was complete. Um, So that took place more kind of sophomore, junior year of high school. So I thankfully had, you know, kind of shut that door, decided to go to Vanderbilt and was thankful that I didn't have to worry about a lot of that stuff and could just be a normal college or high school senior, if you will. Right. Um, So most of that stuff was complete. Normal being, you know, (laughs) drafted, (laughs) talking to draft uh, scouts and stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not normal for all of us. So for people who are not uh, from the Nashville area or, or from America, if we're, if for our listeners outside of, of the states, or just anyone not familiar with baseball here, college baseball, Vanderbilt is one of the pre- premier teams, college teams in the nation, and playing one of the best leagues, the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, one of the best leagues in the nation as well. So going to Vanderbilt and just making that team, being recruited, that, that's a high accomplishment in itself. What was that like? What was that process like of leaving home? Atlanta's about four hours away. Leaving home, leaving your family, going to college. I mean, that's stressful in itself, but you're, you're walking into a, a mini business almost, uh, a, a minor league franchise in some ways. For sure. I'd say that looking back on it, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, it is a business. Um, but it's also, too, there's just because of the caliber of school that Vanderbilt is, you know, being a, you know, a top 20 school, you could also put, you know, again, the baseball program would be, you know, in some ways, arguably a top five type baseball program in the country. There's just a lot of expectation on both sides there of, you know, achieving and reaching certain standards. Um, and so coming in as a freshman, not understanding that, thinking that, again, I would have in some ways some type of a normal, you know, college experience. I couldn't have I couldn't have articulated what a normal college experience would have been like. I, I just had this in some ways kind of an idealized view that there was going to be free time and you were going to be able to do some of the things that you wanted to do. Um, but I would say that you know ninety ninety to ninety five percent of your time is spent either doing some type of baseball related activity or school. Um, because and, in a Power Five conference. Football's the moneymaker, but you know, at a school like Vanderbilt, baseball is probably the premier program they have sports wise. So that's you know, it, it's a moneymaker for them. Sure. So it is like a business. Sure. And the you know, in college, college athletics is very interesting in the way that you know, college kids, and this is obviously changing a little bit based on um, some of the legislation that's just come down the line. But, you know, it's college coaches' livelihoods at stake. Um, And and so for the kids, you know, you're going to get an education. But for the coaching staff, um, you know, across the board, you know, if you're not performing or the teams are not winning, you know, before too long, you know, the coaches are going to be seeing the door. And so there's an interesting kind of dynamic there at play um, as far as how that that works, especially, yes, in a Power 5, I'd say across the board, a Power 5 school um, there are high expectations across the board. Yeah. So the real question is, does Tim Corbin just come show up at your house and says, I want you? <laughs> that was not the way that I was re- recruited, no. Oh, um, and I'd say, I want to redo right now. He needs to show up to my house. Come on. Um, no, I, and that's the interesting thing, too, about the recruiting process is there. it takes so many different shapes depending on when guys mature, depending on when guys are seen. You know, because there's a variety of, diff- of different coaches that are able to speak into that process. Um, I might be wrong, but I do not believe that Corbs ever saw me play in person before I committed. The pitching coach, Derek Johnson, who's now the pitching coach of the Cincinnati Reds, and Eric Backich, um, who's now the head coach at University of Michigan, were the two other coaches on staff at that point, and they had seen me in person multiple times. Um, but I think at the point that I had committed, Tim had never seen me play in, in person. What was what was the the thing that made you want to choose Vanderbilt outside of just the academic side of it? It's Everything great. as far as cost. I mean, you being drafted, I'm sure you had you could go anywhere, choose any school that you wanted to. So what what made you pick Vanderbilt and 
specifically yeah great question do you do you know about how many schools recruited you colleges recruited you roughly that's kind of a tough question too with baseball it works a little bit different than football and basketball um sometimes there's initial interest shown and if if there's not any type of reciprocation some of that stuff just kind of evaporates um so i spent some time um kind of going back and forth with georgia and georgia tech um clemson was another school that's very close to my home um outside of atlanta and they have a you know a pretty prestigious historical baseball program um and then virginia and vanderbilt were were kind of the five schools that i talked to um pretty closely but to answer your question um and i think we all could say that there have been people that have spoken into our lives in Mm -hmm. you know very specific moments i had a hitting coach actually um that was a clemson alum um of all of all places and i was at one point very very close to going to clemson um and he he probably has no idea about this now but he specifically told me he's like you're you need to look elsewhere because I think that, you know, and again, no di- disrespect whatsoever to Clemson. It's mm-hmm. a great school. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, I think that you need to look elsewhere and try to propel yourself academically with your, you know, baseball ability. And so that caused me mm-hmm. to take a little bit of a different viewpoint towards um, towards kind of the recruitment process. Um, Vandy also was not – you know, David Price was, I think, a junior when I kind of committed. And so that was the first year where there was really mm-hmm. some, you know, some traction, really some success. You know, historically speaking, you know, Corbs had brought them out of the dumpster, for lack of a better term. Right. Um, and so even to think about where they are now, I go to the games and the production and the success is even so much greater than it was when I, you know, was there. Um, so, but that's kind of, you know, it's a long-winded answer no, of no, how I kind of got there. That's great. That's great. So we, he's been mentioned a couple of times already. Tim Corbin, Vander, head coach at Vanderbilt for Vanderbilt's baseball, I guess is a better way to say that. But can you talk a little bit about him? And and, and people who follow the program know him. But can you just give us a little bit of inside, behind the scenes, Um about him and, and how he interacts and the kind of relationships he, he builds with the players? Absolutely. Um, I owe a ton to him because, again, he gave me a unique ability to play for him at Vanderbilt and go to school there. Um, I would say that he is – the people in the local Nashville area know that, you know, he, he has a fantastic reputation around town. Um, he is that way behind closed doors too. I would say that he is – he is extremely intense. Um, he expects a lot out of himself, first of all, um, and expects a lot out of us as players. That was one of the things I think that was initially hard for me coming in was that the expectations that he had and that the other coaching staff had were not the expectations that I initially had for myself. You know, I thought that I was coming in and you know going to be in a different situation than what I actually came into. But the expectations that he and the other coaches had started to become the expectations that we had of ourselves as players. And to me, that is, that is far greater than a piece of paper and a diploma. That's far greater than a draft. That's far greater than success on the field is that if you start to hold yourself to a standard that you weren't necessarily holding yourself to before, you can't really put a price tag on that. And that is, I think the, you know, the most, foundational way that I could describe him is that he he really does a great job of preparing players a lot of times for the draft through kind of just the program process but he really you know prepares you to be you know quality men quality dads quality husbands um, which is obviously far more important than anything on, on a baseball field were, were the expectations the coaches had higher for you than you had for yourself Initially, absolutely. Yeah, I think that there was a – and I had a really hard time as a freshman, and obviously I haven't been to another school, so I don't know what it would have been like elsewhere. Um, but it was very difficult. Again, the links that we were in some ways pushed to, both academically and athletically or physically. Um, but, again, it started to just become the norm. It started to be what it was expected from them. And then, again, what you expected of yourself, it started to become the norm. And then, again – my sophomore and junior year, it wasn't any different from a demand standpoint. 
but you know again your your emotional and mental psyche has a lot easier time you know processing all of it because you've been through it before and that's again what you at that point expect of yourself and that really I'm putting words in your mouth but that probably became your family because you had moved away from home and did you have any kind of support system here outside of school um I really didn't no I mean I knew no one in the local Nashville area yeah I mean I, I would say the folks the folks within the Vanderbilt you know baseball community as well as you know some other um students at Vanderbilt were you know kind of my support at that point your first couple years you're you're bat- battling the expectations and being in a new place being away from home all that kind of stuff you also battled some injuries can you talk a little bit about injuries and setbacks going through that I had been dealing and you know looking back obviously hindsight's 2020 and we'll talk about this a little bit later um, I'd been dealing with injuries since some point in high school so it started with my elbow um, and I went through a variety of different you know saw different doctors Um, so as a freshman I was generally okay from a from a health standpoint I really didn't play a lot as a freshman and so that didn't really lend itself to me being hurt Um, but I went away to the Cape Cod Summer League um, and had some elbow discomfort came back there was, you know, a little bit of a difficulty diagnosing me. I had some, you know, interesting things going on inside with my elbow that were difficult to, you know, diagnose on um, x-ray imaging specifically. Um, and so that was a little bit challenging. I ended up going to um, James Andrews, who, for those that don't know, is kind of a world-renowned orthopedic surgeon who um, really helped spearhead the Tommy John surgery. Um, and so that's kind of where he really became well known. For, um, for those that may not know, can you just, in layman's terms, sure, explain what Tommy John surgery sure. is? So it's it's kind of the worst thing that a pitcher in baseball would ever like to hear. Um, right. So Tommy John was the first individual pitcher, baseball player, where this surgery was done on. Um, and so the the surgery then became deemed. Tommy John surgery from him but it is where your ligament so and ligaments connect bone to bone tendons connect muscle to bone so when your ligament that connects this bone on your forearm to this bone going up to your shoulder it basically breaks and so they have to go in and surgically repair the ligament Um, and it's about a year plus rehab process um and so, but that's the way that, you know, again, James Andrews became, you know, well-known. Thankfully, at that point, I did not need Tommy John surgery. Um, and so I, I rested, came back, ultimately was blessed to have a good end of my sophomore year. And that kind of propelled me into the second summer where I went to the Cape Cod League and was fortunate to have, you know, a good season there. And that propelled me into my junior year at Vanderbilt. Um, but I had dealt with some, some injuries over the junior year and then again I know that that we'll talk about this regarding pro ball later but I ultimately ended up having Tommy John surgery as well as two other surgeries um, on various other parts of my body and was very difficult but I think that that was a a real way that the Lord used uh, some of those some of those trials as I know that he does in a lot of other people's lives to really bring me closer to him Um, so definitely a difficult time but looking back on it i'm very thankful for those because like i said it was uh if he was ridding me of me in those moments any pride that i had um i'm definitely thankful for that looking back at vanderbilt during baseball season a tip what's your typical schedule friday saturday sunday or, or what what's a game a typical game schedule Sure. So you played anywhere between three and five games a week. So you'd play Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, every week. And then you usually would have one or two midweek games on either Tuesday and or Wednesday. Um, Monday was historically kind of an off day. Um, And then Thursday, a lot of times you would spend traveling to away games and things like that. Um, So during the season, you're pretty much, I mean, you're locked in. It's baseball all the time. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of come up for air, and then you go back and do it again. Um, so it's busy, but it's also it's also the most fun because obviously you're training all year to kind of get to that point. Right. So during the off season, you, you're you're having classes, and 
your your schedule's ninety percent dictated with practice and weightlifting and all the other things you have to do. Then you get in the season, you're playing three to five games every week, super busy. How is that on your spiritual life? Do you have time to go to church? Are you, um, you know, just doing reading the Bible, doing things on your own in in your dorm or? Or what for you, what was that like and what was that process? Did it hinder your walk, help your walk? How did that come about for you the first couple of years? Yeah, I would say as anything in life, it just takes an immense amount of intentionality, you know, to really continue to deepen your walk with Christ in any, you know, point in life. I'd say that college is also a pretty unique environment because there are so many different spiritual um, organizations and different people that you can, you know, help plug into, you know, so I had a couple folks where I met with pretty regularly um, to make sure that I was, you know, again, that my walk was strong. Um, reading my Bible, you know, alone was a big thing for me. Um, and then also, too, was blessed to have, there were a couple of churches um, in the Nashville area that had um, Saturday night or Sunday night services, and those were huge for me because oftentimes we weren't playing at that time. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, again, make arrangements to go because on Sunday mornings, you know, getting ready for games, that just wasn't an opportunity. Um, so thankfully there were places and ways that I could get plugged in regardless of the busy schedule. How long were you at Vanderbilt? Did you play three years or four years? I played three years. And then you were drafted again? Correct. So drafted out of high school coming out of high school in the 45th round you have a couple good summers of summer ball good good junior year at Vanderbilt that's your SEC pitcher of the year um, year what is that draft process like now having all that success as opposed to the first time coming out of high school I'd say it's more serious at that point because you know, in high school, it's kind of an option where, you know, you maybe could get drafted and you might sign if kind of the stars aligned. Um, at this point, it's kind of like this is what you've been working towards. And I was blessed to have such a such a summer leading up to that junior year and then such a junior year that it was kind of this was going to be the next step if that was the step that I was going to take. Um, so that process takes – you know, a little bit more of a serious nature and tone. Um, the process, though, is is the same. So you spend time in kind of informational interviews. There are um, lengthy questionnaires, lengthy personality assessments, um, and all kinds of things. That takes place, again, in the winter leading up to the season. So all of that stuff was done prior to a pitch being thrown. Um, but then what happens, which really did not happen in high school because, again, I had kind of – written off signing was there's kind of a cat and mouse game at that point of the let's say the appraised value that a team has put on you based on all of their evaluators coming to see you play Um, and then also the value that you and your representation has kind of put on the season and the ability that we feel like I or any other player had Um, and so there's kind of a re-engagement process where it's kind of back and forth. Okay, what are you looking for from a financial standpoint? They don't necessarily tell you what they see in you, um, but they want to make sure that if they're sticking their necks out on behalf of you, that you need to be taken by the team in a specific spot in the draft. They want to make sure that you're going to be, you know, that you don't have too high of expectations, too low of expectations, and those kind of things align. Um, So that's kind of the next part of that process that takes place maybe a couple of weeks prior to the draft. Um, but I would definitely say that, you know, going, it's a fun process. It's also, it's also kind of an unnerving process because there's, there's really just a lot of unknown. Um, that whole industry in general, there are a lot of analytics and there are a lot of numbers and, you know, people are measured, but there's also a whole lot of subjectivity too. So you can perform in such a way um, and know how your performance, but you could have you know, 10 or 15 or 20 people watching you um, that could view you in 10 to 15 to 20 different ways. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a humbling process too, because of that, you know, for those of us that like to have control over our lives and what's going on, um, this is kind of the antithesis of that, which I think also 
grows, or at least it grew me too, um, to really trust in the Lord and what His plan was for me, not you know anything that I could have, I could have done myself. Is the draft before the college season ends, the regular season, or no? Do you have to make it to the World College World Series? For, for that draft to happen and you still be playing? So it has since changed. It is now after the College World Series. So now the entire college season is complete by the time the draft happens. Um, when I was playing, it was – so you played the regular season, you had your conference tournament, and then in order to get to the College World Series, there were regionals and then super regionals. Um, the draft happened post-regionals. So it was kind of in the middle of the postseason process. So some some teams are done, but sixty four teams are still playing. As far as far as college ball, and also now that you're drafted and you're and you're playing minor league ball or whatever, who would who would you say was like your most difficult hitter that you had to pitch against, or maybe like a situation that you were in that you're like that was I overcame that and that was probably the most difficult situation I was in. That's a good question. Um, Bringing the heavy hitting, yeah, right, Ryan with hey, the heat. Sorry, that was not that was no, last no, week, no. and I threw it at you. <laughs> I would so as a starter, um, at least as a junior, there wasn't you know again you're kind of getting yourself into messes and yeah. getting out of them. So in, <laughs> right? in, in some ways, it doesn't feel like you're thrown into anything. It's like crazy. every every day, I was thrown into that. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, but as a freshman, um, and this meant a lot to me because it was at Georgia. Um, and I grew up about an hour outside of Athens, Georgia. Right. Um, and I came in as a freshman. I think I only had – I had less than 15 innings um, as a freshman, so not a ton of action. Um, but I came in to a close game. The bases were loaded with – I can't remember if – I think I think there was no outs and, I, and the bases loaded, and I ended up striking out the side um, mm, to get out of this nice. inning, um, which – Again, looking back, based on my experience, I had no business doing, but it just, you know, it ultimately happened that way, and it just also so happened that it was basically in my backyard. Um, so cool. that was yeah. uh, that was a whole lot of fun. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Was, was David Price there when you started Vanderbilt, or he had, he had left? Were he, you listening to anything at all? Well, he said Dude, he said he, on, Price was a junior when he committed to Vanderbilt. I, he didn't, I didn't know what that time was frame was. Was he committed, was. or, was you, or that was when you were a freshman? Yeah, so Price got drafted in 07. That was when I committed. Um, so my first, my my first season was 09. <laughs> okay. So he was a couple years ahead I take, of me. I take it back. <laughs> Calm down, Ryan. Calm, <laughs> what? Calm down. You need to explain it like that joke you sent in text earlier. That was that's rude. Okay. <laughs> you took all the fun out of that text message. Yeah. Now, now you're drafted. Big difference from round 45 to round number one. <laughs> who who drafted you after your junior year? And were you healthy at that point going in, getting drafted, and going into your pro, starting your pro career? The Tampa Bay Rays drafted me. Um, was I healthy? Sort of. <laughs> yeah, so. Enough um, for them. <laughs> so, the. I would say that my pro career started in a difficult way. Um, I was kind of inundated right in the face with the business side of baseball. Um, to give a little bit of background, the way that it works a lot of times as in the, the big four sports. So, let's say basketball, football, baseball, and hockey. Um, an individual gets drafted prior to signing their contract, there is a physical process. Um, and so most people, again, have gone to get their annual physicals. Um, this is kind of an annual physical on steroids. Um, you can't say that in baseball talk. You're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. Um, but kind of the normal physical stuff, and then you get – you know, extra things done. So you have specific imaging for a pitcher done on your elbow and your shoulder. You get x-rays of a variety of different body parts. You get, you know, EKGs done. You get blood work, you know, which, again, sometimes comes along with an annual physical. But there but are just additional things that are done. Um, because of some of the 
unhealth that I had in my elbow in high school. And if you recall, I said that some things were difficult to diagnose. There was a discrepancy between an image of my elbow coming into the draft. Um, and that caused the si- my signing um, to go off with a little bit of a hitch. Um, so I was just inundated with the, again, that, that process right, right then. I was technically healthy. Um, it took me a little bit of time to sign. Um, and it was the next season where I ultimately had my Tommy John surgery. So I'd say I was sort of healthy. Um, but again, ultimately, I had those three surgeries coming down the horizon. And who who makes those calls? Is that it? So the the Rays they draft you and they say, "Hey, we see this. This is what the doctors are telling us." Can you dispute that at all, or is it just what they say goes? And this is what you got to do to play here. So again, like I said, it is a subjective process to some degree, um, and medicine is definitely a practice. Um, so different doctors see things differently. Um, and, you know, to give you an example in that specific process, there was a raised team doctor that, that saw something a certain way. Um, we had at that point gone and I had seen a couple other doctors that saw it a little bit differently. Um, but again, going back to the business side of baseball, they had used that as a negotiating mm-hmm. tactic um, as we ultimately had my had my deal signed. Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a collaborative effort. It's not necessarily one person that makes that call. Um, there's an entire kind of medical department. There's an entire scouting department, and then they have what's called their baseball operations department, who makes all of the high level baseball decisions. So there's kind of a it's a multifaceted headed monster, if you will, um, and it's difficult to say you know one specific person. Sounds too confusing for me. <laughs> So you you sign, you get drafted, you sign, finally get through all the medical stuff. What happens when you actually start playing? Where where did you go, and how, what was that process? And and kind of what's the the underbelly of minor league baseball? What's it look like? Is it glamorous? Not glamorous? <laughs> there are some websites you can go look at where it's minor league guys using sharpies to color in their uniform, pinstriping, and a picture of their cheese sandwich with a piece of lettuce on it and all kinds of crazy stuff but what, what's the real world of minor league baseball yeah you're in, you're inundated with the non-glamorous side of baseball um so i signed um at that point it was like august 15th um and so those that aren't familiar with the you know the baseball season at that point the minor league season um is almost over so i was actually Scheduled, if my signing had gone as it normally would have gone, um, I was expected to go and play with a team for the for the remainder of the season. But that ship had kind of sailed. Um, I finished the year down at our spring training facility in um, Port Charlotte, Florida, which is about an hour and a half south of Tampa, um, and it's not glamorous at all. So you're, you know, you're kind of getting up and you're you're basically practicing every day um, without really playing. There's a kind of a fall, what they call instructional league that all new draft picks go to. It's, you know, across the board, every team has it. I spent time doing that, you know, the first, the first, um, the first off season. So from September to October, um, I did that. But again, it's basically practice every day with little payoff, um, kind of glorified scrimmages if you will um so people think about professional baseball they think about what they see on tv um getting to that point is definitely not as glamorous as that point and the reason that that is so glamorous um is because the lack of glamour if you will you know kind of coming down the pipeline so there you go follow your dreams kids (laughs) how was how was like your like as far as were y'all in hotel rooms? Did y'all have apartments, or how did all that work out as far as then? Yeah, so traveling away games, you would right. stay in hotels, um, and then during the season, depending on where you were. I mean, I stayed at, at certain points. I would rent a house. There were times when I had an apartment. Um, generally, would have roommates um, yeah. too, um, but all of that as well as kind of on you the player um i was 
you know, I was blessed to have, you know, again, some financial compensation that came along with, you know, getting drafted in the first round. The unfortunate thing about minor league baseball is a lot of players do not have that, you know, do not have that luxury. Um, and it it's getting better, um, but especially on the minor league side of things, it's, it is, if someone would say it's a livable wage, I'd say that you're probably lying. Um, it's just really, it's really challenging. And, you know, getting and looking at some of those, you know, again, the websites that you alluded to, um, it is funny in some ways sitting on this side of things, but when some of those guys are struggling, it can be difficult. And Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, again, from a, from a team and even a, you know, a major league baseball standpoint that they continue to start to give more support, um, to even the minor league guys, because yes, there are a lot of them, um, but they're still the best in the world at what they do, um, and they're not at the big league level. Um, but any professional sport is incredibly difficult, um, and in some ways, I feel like they should definitely be compensated at least a little bit, a little bit more closely with kind of the economics of the higher, the higher, uh, the higher level teams. So traveling in the minor leagues, how are you traveling? Is it bus? air and how far are you going i know it depends on the league but for you specifically how far were you traveling and how did you get there yeah in the minor leagues it's basically until you get to triple a it's all bus um i was blessed to play in a couple of leagues that were not that bad from a travel standpoint um there are some leagues where it's you know it's 10 to 15 plus hour bus rides um and it's Again, you're you're playing every day, and so you'll get done with the game. Most games are at night, you know. So you'll get done with the game ten, eleven. <laughs> Maybe your team takes an hour to eat, shower, bus up, and then you're you know you're going to the next destination or you're or you're going home. Um, and so I mean, there were times when I can specifically remember in Double A when I played in Montgomery, Alabama, where we played outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, the in Kodak, um, and we had an extra inning game, and we had to get back to Montgomery the next day f- for a game, and we got back as the sun was coming up. Um, and again, the expectation is you're just you're just playing the next day, and that's kind of you know to be honest, that's the case across the board. I mean, even if you're flying on charter jets, which obviously does happen, I mean, if you have an extra inning game and you have to fly cross country and play the next night, there's not a you know, there's not an "I'm tired" kind of situation, regardless of when you get home. You just gotta, you just gotta get up and do it. <laughs> so at Vanderbilt, you're playing three to five games a week, kind of have a, a set schedule for the most part. Minor league, what was that schedule like for you? Um, so from a pitching standpoint, you're on a five day rotation. Um, so as a starter in college, you pitch once a week. Um, so I pitched on Saturdays as a junior. Um, that's a pretty you know, that's a pretty nice schedule. It gives you a pretty good amount of, you know, kind of recovery time. Um, on the five-day rotation, which is pretty standard across kind of professional baseball, um, you pitch every five days, um, which, which is kind of, again, like your game day. Um, but the other days you're spending all of your time kind of getting ready for the next game day. So those are, you know, aren't they aren't necessarily off days as, you know, what some people might, might imagine but you know from from an overall kind of macro scheduling standpoint um the minor league season is compressed into five months um and you play 140 games in 150 days um and about like three or four of those days off days are taken up by the all-star break so i mean you get maybe one and a half off days a month um so it's uh it's all baseball all the time Stefano's struggling over here. No, he he no, heard no, that. That's, he just that's a, that's a, he he almost passed out when no, he heard that. A, I mean, this is baseball. He's doing what he loves. Is that know, re- is that I really know. days off? No, no, no. It's just that's just on the run like that. It's just he's calling it work gonna, over here. And that was going to lead into my next thing. I know you talked about it. you got plugged in during college uh, with the church and all that good stuff, but just during minor leagues and that schedule that you had, were you still able to do the same? I know probably more alone time reading the Bible on your own was probably one of your only options if you're on the run that much. For sure. Um, I'd say baseball, 
there is so much opportunity in baseball for you know again guys that love the Lord to really be a light. Um, it is kind of overall though a pretty godless mm-hmm. environment. It just kind of lends itself because of the alone time, because of the travel. You know, it lends itself to you know some not great things. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that environment, I was blessed with you know again a really strong community. Um, there is an organization called Baseball Chapel. Um, so each each team, each minor league affiliate has a chaplain, um, and some of my some of my closest relationships in baseball that still exist today come from a couple of those chaplains. Where you know, again, guys that are still speaking into my life after the fact. So it's uh, it was definitely by the grace of God that I had those you know types of relationships. Um, but again, just like in college, it just it does require an immense amount of intentionality. Um, because community is there, but you have to, you definitely have to seek it out. Um, so you said earlier that you met your wife at Vanderbilt. So at, during this time, you're doing all this traveling and everything. Obviously, they don't go with, she doesn't go with you, or does she? Or, and like, how, how did that, did that put a stress on your marriage? Or were you married at that time? I don't know. Yeah, so we we met at Vanderbilt, but we did not start dating until a couple years into my pro career. Okay. Um, so I retired in 2018. We we got married in 2015. Um, all all sports spouses are rock stars. I mean, the stuff that they have to you know go through. We we moved um, we moved 18 times in our first like three years of marriage. Oh, that's crazy. Um, Stefano so, hates that less than a day's <laughs> off. He's, that's normal to you? I don't want to move 18 times in my lifetime. <laughs> I moved once, and that's from my parents' house to my house. That's a, that's a lot of movement. I lied twice, so apartment to house. I mean, they're just they're fresh in their relationship, man. I'm just trying to imagine that. But some of it, too, you know, again, obviously at that point we didn't have kids. Um, we packed lightly. You know, our stuff basically fit in both of our cars. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily the moves that everyone thinks of. Um, it's still stressful. But it oh, is yeah. it is, um, it it is definitely challenging, but it's interesting, too. It's also times that we look back pretty fondly on because it's just so unique. It's like yeah. it causes you to – it causes you to grow closer together in a way that you really might not have had to otherwise. But, I mean, it really causes to – your spouse to die to herself um in that example to really help me chase my dreams and so you know i hope that that my wife knows that i've told her so many times but i mean she was an absolute rock star supporting me um and again i was not playing under the bright lights every night because i was hurt most of the time especially when we were married so what, what's uh, your wife's name do you mind sharing that madeline 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 you're awesome <laughs> So let's get into that. Your injuries in the minor leagues. You get drafted. You have a couple surgeries in the minor leagues. Can you tell us about that? And then, again, going through that struggle because that's not – that's kind of hindering you from getting where you want to be, achieving what you want to achieve in baseball. So how does that affect your spiritual life as well? Sure. Um, So I ultimately had three – major surgeries um i had that tommy john surgery which was on my elbow kind of a complete elbow reconstruction um i so there is a muscle that goes along your back and actually attaches in your armpit it's called your latissimus dorsi muscle um i actually threw a pitch and tore it off the bone um if that sounds like fun um that, that sounds like something yeah. none of us would hit uh, right? I, I, <laughs> no I assume you knew that whenever you threw that pitch it it was not a good pitch. Okay. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. um, and ultimately, that was actually the injury that kind of finished my career. Um, that happened. It went misdiagnosed. Again, kind of a common theme for a while. And in that process, I continued to pitch on it. Um, after kind of doing a, a little bit of rehab in that process, I kind of tore up my shoulder too. So kind of had my shoulder reconstructed. I had that muscle reconstructed. And then I had my elbow reconstructed as well. Um and so I'd say to, you know, to answer the second part of your question, how that affected me spiritually, um, I kind of want to go back to how, how kind of an athlete's psyche is. In some ways, um, 
your best friend is also your worst enemy. It's like you kind of feel like you are invincible until you're not, but also you're required to put so much on on the line and so much into the sport to try to achieve, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Um, so it is it's kind of a difficult it's a difficult balance, but there had obviously been a ton, you know, put into this and obviously I was trying to get to the highest level, you know, make a living for my family. Um, and it's easy because it's also, it's a team sport, but baseball is also a pretty individual sport, especially at the pitching level. Um, and when I was, you know, blessed to have some of the success that I had, um, it's easy in some ways to get a little bit, you know, off kilter, if you will, from, from a pride standpoint. Um, and I really feel like the Lord used these injuries to kind of help center me back in the middle lane um, and remind me not only of where I came from, but where these gifts and abilities were really also came from. Um, and so I think that baseball, as I kind of continued to move on, um, I started to tell myself certain things and I started to get to a place where if I was really honest um, and look in the mirror, you know, baseball in a lot of ways became an idol for me, you know, reaching the pinnacle, doing all that I had aspired to do, um, held a greater weight in my heart and my mind than it really needed to. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the, those chaplains um, actually told me as I retired coming off of some of these injuries, um, he told me, he said, I know that this stings, but if the Lord is, again, protecting you from you alone, and that's the only reason that this happened, um, that's something that I think you need to be okay with and you need to have peace with. Um, it was really difficult to hear in the moment, um, but looking back, I can't, I really can't thank him enough for saying that because that was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment um, as the Lord was kind of continuing to refine me um, and refine my faith and ultimately make me more like him. Um, I wish that that hadn't had to happen, but um, I'm thankful that it did. And really, I mean, athletes, elite athletes at high levels obviously have to have that edge mentally to get to the top and also stay at the top. But that can transfer over into any career and any profession where someone is driven to be at the top, whether it's doctor, lawyer, you know, uh, financial person, uh, someone starting their own business, mowing yards, or whatever the case is, we can all have that distraction of pride that takes us away from, you know, what God really wants us to do. And I'm sure just you, I mean, from your freshman, sophomore year in high school and the success that you had in college and everything, I know, like Daniel said, elite at, elite athletes, and it would have been easy for you to say, woe is me, and just to push away from God during that time but it's just you having those chaplains and those support groups throughout your time at Vanderbilt and family um, upbringing and everything like that probably helped you something that you could lean on during those dark times of being hurt and your dreams feel like that they're not you know being you know accomplished I guess in that yeah, it definitely did, um, and that's why I think you know the Lord, the Lord's made us all to be in community with one another, um, because life's not easy, and I think if we all looked ourselves in the mirror, we know, or at least I know that you know it's like I'm not, I'm not strong enough, I'm not capable enough, a to do it without Him, but b to do it without folks around me continuing to encourage me in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that you know again that that's just the example in my life. When again, I really needed that support, you know, around me, and still do. Um, but I, you know, I can't speak enough for you know again community because I'm you know just a firm believer that that's the Lord made us to be in community, and that's where we're better. Did you have any feelings of I missed out baseball wise, or do you feel like you gave it everything you have? Because a lot of athletes retire too late, you know they. The ones we see on TV who have made it to the highest level and, you know, they, they're holding on to that thing they love because they don't really know anything else. Do you have any of those regrets or do you feel like you gave everything you could 
and it just didn't work out? I definitely think I gave everything I could. Um, my goal was to n- not let any of these hindrances be something that would solely in and of themselves take me away. I didn't want to have been given an obstacle and you know, decide to take the, quote, easy route at that point. Um, I think that there will always be a piece of me that stings to where I feel like I wasn't able to fully reach my potential from an athletic standpoint. Um, I think that, again, probably until the day I die, there will be a piece of me that kind of burns a little bit because of that. Um, But I don't have any regrets from kind of a a work standpoint or a stone that wasn't, you know, turned over. Um, And I'm thankful for that. You know, I'm thankful that the Lord has given me peace that, you know, again, other than a little bit of that burning, which is in some ways probably a little bit selfish, um, I'm thankful that I have peace about that and I'm able to kind of close the door and move on. All right. Something we talked about a little bit before we started recording were scholarships, kind of backing up a little bit for a high school athlete being recruited in different sports for college and kind of how the scholarships are different for different sports. Can you talk a a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I can speak specifically to baseball. There are about 35 players on a normal college baseball team where there are only 11.7 scholarships given. Um, Football, I can't speak. I don't know exactly how many are on a basketball team. Um, I do know that there's plenty to go around. Um, For football specifically there's 85 scholarships Um, so there's significantly more on the football and basketball side at most schools those are the money-making sports that makes sense Um, but there is you know definitely a lack of scholarships with baseball so um, it's unheard of you know you see it pretty often on social media where you know a a college or a college football coach will be in the team meeting room and, you know, again, he's he's granting a walk-on, you know, full scholarship. And that's, you know, awesome tearjerker kind of um, kind of videos. I even love those. Um, but in baseball, those kind of things don't happen. It's also extremely rare to even get full scholarships um, because coaches are trying to, you know, finagle their allotment to kind of best capitalize on the team that they're given. So the economics – Again, going back to kind of the business side, especially with baseball, it really is like running a business and, and like running a payroll system, you know, because there's this certain amount of allotment and we have to make it work. Um, and it's difficult, too, because the draft process is also pretty unpredictable. Um, so to make that puzzle work, um, a, lot, a lot of those guys, you know, need MBAs more than just, you know, <laughs> good coaches. <laughs> just to piggyback off of some of the um, – some of the difficulties that I had. Um, anybody that's listening, that you know, again, there are there are difficulties and pitfalls that people listening here probably far surpass anything that I experienced. You know, athletically, yes, it was physical. Um, we're obviously in a very difficult time from you know a COVID standpoint, um, health standpoint, um, you know, family standpoint. There are you know a laundry list of things that happen because of you know our fallen world. Um, but the only encouragement that I could, you know, provide is that, you know, the Lord can absolutely use those instances and those circumstances in the deepest, darkest times for his good. Um, and we may not see it. It may take, you know, a while to get that, you know, hindsight. But um, I would just encourage people that are going through difficult times um, that it is possible and that the Lord is there and present and working. Um, I think that's important to important to remember. Well, Grayson, we are so thankful that you came on, and um, we can't say thank you enough. Feel free to take that water bottle with you. That's yours forever. You <laughs> we won't charge you for it. Yeah, I'm going to uh, frame it. If that's okay. <laughs> that's your gift. We have some sharpies. We can autograph that for you if you if need be. But uh, I think Ryan wants your autograph. <laughs> I've already before, tried. Before we're done, he laughed at me. Uh, well. <laughs> It's because you you were cheesing up with the Vandy jersey. That's Come what it was. Come on, I was but. trying to get them, you know, get them involved. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. But uh, we we greatly appreciate you coming on and telling your story and giving some insight that most of us don't get to experience. Um, and, and you you tell your story very well, and and 
again, just thank you for coming on. Um, you're invincible until you until you're not. We might right. put that on a T-shirt. I like that. Uh, along with the trash panda and all this kind of <laughs> all stuff. All the good stuff. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But I will say, Grayson binge watched our whole first season after he agreed to come on. He he's doing nice. his homework there. Sounds like a Rock true stuff. Bandy kid. Rock I wanted stuff. to make sure Rock that stuff. wasn't something that you know I needed to be made aware of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, be like Grayson. Binge watch if you haven't, or watch them again. You know. We'll okay. Well, if you if you binge watched them, do you have any questions for us? I actually thought, I actually texted Zach after uh, listening to his. I thought that he had actually, um, I actually thought he had lied for a moment. Uh oh. So so before before we before we Hold throw up. anyone yeah. under the bus, we we will say that he did not lie. Come to find out, however, as I was listening, I thought that he had lied. Okay. So, so Zach okay. and Grayson go back a little ways, and and we have to give credit where credit's due. Zach yeah. actually made this happen for us, but Grayson graciously accepted. So we're giving Grayson Zach's the credit. A good friend of mine. But uh, <laughs> Zach is sitting off camera here for those that are watching on YouTube. So. Um, feel free to go ahead and get your burn in if you need to. Yeah. It's not really a burn, um, but the sto- you guys had asked, you know, we're talking about money, and, and you guys had asked if there were any good stories that Zach had. Um, well, he had said that he had a client down in Tampa that a house cleaner had actually come in and taken some checks and written them to herself and cashed them. Um, that exact same thing happened to me in my first spring training down in Tampa. And I don't know that we had ever talked about this story before, but I heard it and I just was like, he just lied. (laughs) Completely lied. And then come to find out again, he, you know, he had a client that the same thing happened to, to him. So I guess the moral of the story is, um, keep your checks out of Tampa, Florida because, you know, they might get cashed in the wrong direction. The question is, were y'all in the same place and y'all just had the same person cleaning? (laughs) I can't verify that. Right? (laughs) Have you ever been to the Super Bowl with Zach? You know, I have been outside of the Super Bowl building with Zach. (laughs) Got to define Ben. And we were scheduled to go. Yet we ended up watching the game at my parents' house about an hour from the stadium. So, nice. Zach, why you so red over there? We have <laughs> been, we have been, but not been. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I will say he he said he had been to three. It depends on who you ask. He had had tickets for three Super Bowls, but been inside one. He was he was honest. He also gave Mister Eagles over <laughs> here a free ride to the Super Bowl where the Eagles won. He did. He turned it down because he was scared of snow. Uh, I mean, that was pretty cold up there. It was very cold. It was pretty cold. Very cold. That was a cold one. It was. I heard the Eagles today on Sports Talk. They were picked last in the division by the two people I was listening to. Yeah, that's. That bothers me. Is that that, that sound about right? I'm a a realistic Eagles fan. They're terrible. Jalen Hurts doesn't do it for you. No, not until everybody does it for you. The preseason (laughs) means nothing. If they win four games, and that's that's fine. You only have to win seven to win that division. You have to. You have to understand being an Eagles fan. You gotta. don't just go into a season saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, but you got Invincible. I, mean, I, I think we're going to lose every game. You, you ever seen yeah. that movie? What, Invincible? Yeah. Of course I have. It's Mark a great Wahlberg? Movie. Yeah, that's oh, a great yeah. movie. It's a true story. Yeah. Ish. You know, Disney, all Disney movies have that based. Well, not just Disney, all you know, based on a true story. Well, we'll see. I'll watch all the games. I can. But, uh, you know, something's ingrained in you. You don't just bandwagon. Yeah, Ryan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, anyway, all right. Again, Grayson, hey, thank you very much. Come back anytime. Thanks, guys. For um, great stories. It's fun. And uh, you know how we ended if you've watched the episode. We like to end with the Bible verse, and I think you brought one with you. I did. Is there a specific uh, translation that you guys would like to hear english <laughs> i have the english standard version right here um so this was actually uh and i should have i sh- I, sh- I, sh- I should have brought one of these um i had this verse on all of my gloves um so i actually was able to have 
it stitched on the back of all my gloves, but it was Matthew 5.16. Um, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, and that was just kind of, you know, again, foundational to me who I, you know, tried to be um, in baseball specifically was just, you know, again, it was I try I tried to be consistent um, and I tried to um, set an example that was different than, you know, those around me. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we um, appreciate it. Hit it on the head spiritually behind the scenes baseball. One one last thing we forgot to mention at the, at the start. We now have an Instagram account, GPS to God. Find us on Instagram, and I'm going to go ahead and commit that Grayson will be the first guest picture we have on there. <laughs> so we're going to cut the cameras before he can deny it. <laughs> so thank you for listening to GPS to God. Make sure you uh, like, subscribe, rate us, all that kind of stuff, and uh, tell your friends and family. More exciting guests just like Grayson coming up, but none better. So, <laughs> Thanks, guys. See you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to GPS to God. Please leave us a rating on iTunes and also subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell if you'd like to receive notifications when new episodes air.